people often assume because I'm pro-life and because I'm Christian that it's somehow like I was indoctrinated and I just happened to be pro-life for no reason. But I was a pro-choicer, I was agnostic. Um, and I kind of, during quarantine, began to like explore the debate scene um, online. And as I started to look more into it, I think it's really that conversation and open discourse which helped me open my mind even and start to consider other perspectives. What's up everybody? Welcome back to the Things You Don't Hear in Church podcast. If my voice sounds a little bit echoey, because I just moved into a house and I have an empty room except for my podcast equipment. My name is Ethan. And my name is Darren. You were ready. And you were ready for it. <laughs> I was ready. And we're here today with Aish. Uh, she's an aspiring um, apologist. We met on Twitter. I had seen some of her stuff on TikTok and on Instagram. Um, and she's here today talking with us about abortion and some different arguments. We're going to go back and forth on a lot of the uh, popular um, pro-choice arguments. And we're going to kind of push back with some pro-life arguments and just get into the philosophy a little bit and some of the, the more popular arguments try to unpack a little bit from maybe some more nuanced perspectives that hopefully uh you have heard but maybe for some of you haven't heard before so let's get into it yeah i is there any uh anything you also want to say about yourself i know you're going to university in boston anything about that you want to talk about um, not really. I mean, I'm really excited to be here. Very happy to be part of the movement of young people defending life in the womb as well. Wow. Um, and I think it's very important for Christians to be part of this movement, right? So mm -hmm. I'm happy to be able to spread some awareness. Yeah, so good. I feel like for a long time, it was just something for Christians, at least growing up, it was just kind of unspoken, like, yeah, like, this is what we believe that like, we're uh, we're pro-life, right? And that's normal. But we didn't think about a lot of the arts necessarily. And I think as Christianity, at least around where I am, um, has become a little more liberal, we've kind of realized we don't know a lot of those arguments. And a lot of people have been uh, convinced by a lot of the philosophy of whatever party they follow, right? Um, and we've gotten away from maybe what um, philosophy would say or what theology would say when it comes to the bible and so i'm really excited to, to get into it and maybe remind some people mm -hmm. of what the bible says of some good arguments back and forth so yeah let's get into it yeah yeah, yeah i think i'll oh, go ahead Aish. oh yeah i was just gonna say um i think i have a good perspective on this as well because i was actually like pro-choice and then i became pro-life through philosophy hmm. and this was before i was christian wow, amazing so, um, yeah so so i think that it's actually like a huge topic and it definitely opens up the gateway to really valuing life and I think that is such an important mm. part of Christianity as well so yeah. that kind of I think also opened up my heart to Christ which I think shows like the interconnectivity of the issues so I think it's yeah. definitely like good to have that perspective where you know that you can even come to this conclusion secularly but it's also mm. very, very important from a Christian perspective so yeah, even a theistic perspective, you have the one of the only objective arguments for the value of life from a theistic perspective. Exactly. So that's really good. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I was just going to say, I think part of the reason, I think like you were getting at this, Derry, that like Christians kind of don't defend this point very well, or um, they're caught off guard when they hear these arguments and maybe even convinced, is mm -hmm. because a lot of these arguments, as I have encountered them, seem to play on the side of empathy for the woman experiencing um, this this procedure, right? And 
as a human being, you don't want to forsake empathy. You want to understand and, and try to like be there with the, with the issue and, and empathize and be kind. Yeah. And sometimes that can distract from like objective reality. Right. So I think if, we, if we start this from like, okay, this is like why we need to have this conversation, right? Like what does the Bible and theology and philosophy reason is the best response to this. So when those like persuasions come playing off emotion, we can hear them still empathize, but know what's right and wrong, regardless of people's emotions, and then actually use real empathy to really care for the innocent in, in the picture, you know, and, and not be diverted away from the reality of what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think this is totally correct. I mean, I think it is definitely important to know that people often misunderstand the pro-life movement as one that wants to oppress women when it's actually more about uplifting women in my opinion because I think motherhood is so intrinsic to womanhood and like to say that oh we should devalue it like a woman should have to give up her child just to like make for example one of the most common arguments that's used is well if she has that child she's going to have disadvantages in her career she's going to be frowned upon if she's like younger or like some something of the sort and I think that just shows that we have flaws in our system that like disadvantage women. In fact, like most of the first feminists were all pro-life because it lets women actually become victimized to mm. um, consider abortion empowerment. So I think it's also very important to understand that people today often consider what is legal to be moral right yeah. so we mm -hmm. grow up in a system of laws and we just kind of assume okay well they may they must be there for a reason so even like myself growing up as a woman of color um i was always told that i should be pro-choice right i should be pro-choice because this is what empowers me or what should empower me right mm -hmm. um and i think so it's very easy to fall into this trap of believing that these arguments are true because they're held by certain people or um held in the majority in many places right mm. but that doesn't necessarily track and i think that it's very important to consider the objective facts like you said and i think at the end of the day as a christian or even as just a woman even as a person it there is no argument to justify abortion ever so I think it's quite a clear issue, actually. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Even going off your, even going off your first point, um, they were talking about where our sort of values, I think, are off um, from the beginning of like, why is it? I guess you would be at a disadvantage if you're going to have that child when it comes to you valuing like your trajectory in your career or something. But it all depends on what you value, and then that determines what you think is a disadvantage or an advantage in reality. Absolutely. Um, I definitely think also, like, we should have a lot of empathy for women who are considering abortion or have mm. had abortions, right? Because we live in a society yeah. which has told them that this is the right thing to do. This is what they should do. I've heard people say that, oh, you should have had an abortion instead of had the child, you know? And this is something which is so clearly against womanhood. Mm. Because if you believe that, for women to be empowered, they have to give up the thing that which makes us like unique, like one of the things, right? Mm -hmm. We are uniquely able to bear children. 
then if you think we have to give that up in order to be equal, right, or have equal rights or live fulfilling lives, that's sexism mm. inherently. Yeah. Um, so I definitely think that there's a lot of facets to this issue. And there's just like, really, I, I think people like to spin it as a empowerment movement for women to have, mm. quote unquote, control over their bodies. But what it really is, is just denying responsibility, um, trying to make us more like men, because we don't have to bear children, and just inherently devaluing life. Mm. You were saying earlier that you were used to not be a Christian and you were pro-choice and then you became pro-life and Christian. So what was that journey? Um, it'd be interesting to hear about how you became a Christian, but specifically for this episode, how did that, how did philosophy change your opinion from pro-choice to pro-life? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think this is something which is actually really important for people to hear because people often assume because I'm pro-life and because I'm Christian that it's somehow like, I was indoctrinated and I just happened to be pro-life for no reason, but I was a pro-choicer. I was agnostic. Um, and I kind of during quarantine began to like explore the debate scene um, online. And as I started to look more into it, I think it's really that conversation and open discourse, which helped me open my mind even and start to consider other perspectives. And I definitely got a lot more pushback, right? Because in my life, whenever I had to talk about abortion, all I would say was something like the most common arguments that are out there. So, okay, well, would you really want that child to be born into poverty, right? That was like a core argument for me, right? Um, oh, like, why do you think that you have the right to control a woman's body? Like, if you don't want an abortion, don't get one. It's about the choice. These were all core parts of my arguments. And eventually, as I started to talk through them more, and I talked to people with opposing perspectives that were very well educated on this, I started to realize that I really didn't have an understanding of the issue at all. I had just been fed these things. Mm -hmm. So when I did my own research, I stayed pro-choice for a while after that. I started to look into more philosophical arguments. Um, for example, gradualism is one, um, the interest view, these types of things. Um, but honestly, and as I started to debate pro-choice more and more, and I became more and more sophisticated philosophically, I started to actually lean pro-life, which was funny. I started debating as pro-life because I just found it more fulfilling and I couldn't tell why, but then eventually I, I was like, I don't even debate as a pro-choicer anymore. Am I just pro-life? And I had some conversations with my pro-life friends. And honestly, like I realized that, wow, I'm pro-life now. And I think that, so that kind of logically changed my mind. Um, I think it takes time for, so when, when you accept an opinion as more rational, it definitely takes time for your heart to change as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I felt for these women that, you know, are put in horrible situations like pro-choicers often bring up, you know, the extreme minority of cases, which are highly unfortunate, but do happen. Um, and I would, you know, feel so much empathy for that. But I think with time, your heart also changes when you understand the logic of the situation. Because the truth is, just because we have a feeling that someone is going through something bad doesn't justify doing another bad thing. So. Right. Absolutely.
Would you want to explain um, what some of those arguments, the philosophical terms that you mentioned before that brought you to um, a more pro-life standpoint, what those were? Um, so the pro-life arguments that I mostly was looking into were, well, I had a friend who kind of talked me through his argument mm -hmm. and he was a, an incredible debater. Um, and that was what really changed my mind, I think. So we talked about the concept of potential, right? Um, so I think a lot of the time, pro-choicers just have this very narrow view of either, okay, like life at birth, which is scientifically incorrect and even intuitively incorrect. Like you wouldn't consider, you put your hand on a mother's stomach and you feel the baby kicking and you're still gonna say that's not a human, like even intuitively. And then, you know, the science is pretty clear, right? So I think that the concept of potential is what got me because there's pro-choice philosophers that actually concede to this point where pro-lifers have the advantage with a potential, like potentiality argument because we don't even have to pinpoint what makes us human. And in a right. secular debate, this is very helpful because we don't have to bring concepts of souls or anything like that into the discussion. Mm -hmm. So in a secular debate, you can say, okay, you can value humans for rationality. You can value humans for sentience, whatever it is, whatever that it is that you value about humans, it comes under the umbrella of potentiality because potential, or rather how we used to call it, active potential begins mm -hmm. at conception. So when left to its natural, um journey right mm -hmm. an embryo will develop into a baby and then you know a human but right now now a lot of the time people confuse this with some type of potential of like for example the gametes right like this mm -hmm. an egg but mm -hmm. this is not true because when left in its natural environment right before conception Nothing is going to happen. It's not going to develop right. into a baby. Like that, that's not going to happen. So that was one of the first arguments that really changed my mind. And it was very well argued. Um, it's a bit Aristotelian. So what I've yeah. been looking into now is a bit more like, <laughs> that was kind of the first argument that I got into that was a little bit more philosophical. But um, mm -hmm. now I don't really use that so much, but it is what it is. Yeah, that sort of jumps straight to the heart of the conversation. It seems like with every debate that I've watched around um, pro-life, pro-choice, it always starts very like, we're arguing about two different things back and forth. And it slowly narrows down, narrows down, narrows down to where concept, like where life actually begins. And that mm -hmm. seems like kind of where you, you ended up even from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting because I think there's two ways to approach the abortion question, I think. Mm -hmm. um, generally, we consider personhood to be the core of the debate. Mm -hmm. So when do we consider the fetus to be a rights-bearing individual, right? Right. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. if, because if you say, oh, well, and this is a very common argument that I also use as a pro-choicer, oh, well, I only value the fetus at conception because traditionally we value pleasure and we dislike pain. And that starts at the point where they gain sentience, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of pro-choicers will use this to say that, okay, well, we should only allow abortions that are before this point, but 
before that point, it's not a person. Um, so personhood arguments kind of function that way. So if you can prove personhood, for example, through potentiality um, mm. at conception, then traditionally a lot of people are gonna rethink like, do I actually think abortion is okay? However, right. now there has been um, an influx of people who are defending a view called evictionism. So mm. evictionism is a very libertarian concept um, it's defended by this philosopher called Walter Block, and he kind of made it as a response to the question of abortion. It's not meant to be inherently pro-choice or inherently pro-life, but I think mm -hmm. it is more of a pro-choice position mm -hmm. because he simply says the mother has the right to end any violation upon her rights using the gentlest means necessary. And before viability, so that's around 24 right. weeks. Mm -hmm. um, that is an abortion because the baby could not survive outside of her. Mm. So she has the right to, since she doesn't have ongoing consent to the baby drawing on her resources mm -hmm. and you know being inside of her. So quote unquote, violating her bodily autonomy. She has the ability to um, remove the fetus basically. So that's a take that's been very popular lately. But. And that's a question that, about that argument. Yeah, too. I was going to ask, ask um, yeah. is that saying so like when it can live outside the womb with help, it's okay to take it out? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. So at okay. 24 weeks, I mean, the survival rate is like 50%, I think, for uh, mm -hmm. premature babies that young. But nonetheless, it's technically possible. So she can mm -hmm. so at that point she wouldn't be able to have an abortion like 24 week abortion is probably like um a dilation and like like it's it's pretty crude i think and and it definitely results in the death of the child so mm -hmm. um he walter block doesn't approve of that sort of thing at the point where the baby is able to survive outside of the mother interesting i I'm trying to see where the argument hinges on, like what the the premise of it is necessarily, because the viability seems interesting to me. Because if you, at 24 weeks, if that's when viability starts generally. Um, if you took a baby out before then, it could live viably given certain circumstances, like the machines that can take care of it. Versus if you take the baby out at 24 weeks, when it's supposed to be viable, you could leave it alone, it's gonna die. So it's not technically viable. So where's the definition of viability in there? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So um, I think that the definition of viability is traditionally just when the baby can live outside of the mother. Um, yeah. The question of artificial wombs, which we're like, I think 15 mm -hmm. years from developing, um, like that question is very important to this because the question right. is, okay, if artificial wombs um, become a legitimate concept that is a real thing and a real option, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden there are no grounds for abortion right. under this argument, right? Which is why it's also, it also doesn't hinge on personhood. That's the important distinction because regardless of personhood, the mother is quote unquote, just ending a rights violation. So that's essentially the core of the evictionist argument. So that's mm typically two types of arguments. Most people are convinced by personhood, I'd say, because mm -hmm. it seems kind of intuitive that 
if a person, like if, if the fetus is in fact a child, and this is why, right, it becomes so important and intrinsic to the pro-choice movement to devalue and dehumanize fetuses, right? Even right. the fact that we refuse to call it a baby, that in itself means a lot, right? Because mm -hmm. when you stop calling it a baby, all of a, like all of a sudden it is impersonal to allow the murder of millions, mm. so. Yeah, totally makes sense. Ethan, do you have anything you want to go off on that? Um, or can I take it in a different direction right now? Yeah, go for it. I'm just, I, I just had that question about um, the one argument. What's it called again? That one argument you just explained? Evictionism. Evictionism. Okay. Yeah. And then I think Derry also raised a great point of like, what does it mean to be viable? Because one of the common answers I've heard to this is like, two-year-olds aren't viable. If you leave them alone, they're going to die, you know? Mm -hmm like a couple months old like so where, where is that whole there's like you said earlier yeah, in the podcast no, totally. is not yeah there's not really so that's actually an argument we use against them as well partially like because if there's many kind of considerations of what a viability is like is viability on its own as an argument right that it's not a person until it's viable and then the question is okay like let's say a mother has something called a crypto pregnancy where she's not aware and she goes somewhere and she has a child, she gives birth um, and she's literally like, there's a baby formula shortage or she just simply, there's nobody else who can feed this child but her. Do you think that she has a moral obligation to feed the child? I think intuitively it's a yes, right? We wouldn't allow a child to die. There's just have laws around it. Exactly, exactly. Right. Um, so we wouldn't allow a child to die just because it's going to cause some discomfort to the mother to provide for the child, right? I think it's very intuitive to say that she should have the obligation as also a parent to provide for the child. Um, so that is another question, right? Like in that case, is like now if she just decided, oh, I'm going to leave, I don't care about this child, I don't have an obligation to this child. And all of a sudden, is that child really viable? Because yeah. it literally cannot survive, right? Right. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. The uh, the, the baby is late on its rent argument is is very funny. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. I, th I think when it comes to abortion, kind of the direction or like a question I want to ask, um, I see almost no like actual conversation happening when it comes to this topic across party lines, like people are so embedded in that their opinion is right, that there isn't a lot of conversation, or at least there wasn't a lot of like uh, good conversation, I guess. I've seen a debate here or there and uh, TikTok live here that that's okay, but usually it's just people screaming at each other, like how could you believe this kind of a thing on both sides, on both sides, which is normal um, for this like kind of a con contentious topic that people are very emotional about. Um, but one thing that I've seen that's been very interesting is I feel like when it came to Christians, maybe five years ago, almost across the board, it's like most people were pro-life, right? But now, like when I scroll through my timeline or watch stories on Instagram, like when Roe v. Wade was overturned, probably half, if not 6% of my friends that were Christian, um, all were not in favor of it. They weren't a fan that it got overturned. And I have a lot more liberal friends than I think I have conservative friends because I'm from California. Um, so I'm sure that plays a big part into it. Um, but I'd, I'd love to talk about how Christianity has kind of changed its views on this, or at least Christians or young Christians today have changed their views. Um, and one of the main arguments that I see 
a lot of these Christians using is sort of like a, a libertarian kind of uh, political aspect of it of like just let bad people do bad things and we're christians we'll focus on our things just let them do their thing we don't want to overturn it we want to let them do what they want they can set up their laws and we'll like have our little way of life over here but we don't have to ban abortions and like people can do what they want and we'll do what we want over here um have you heard that argument before absolutely unfortunately i've, I've definitely heard this iteration of well god gave us free will so mm -hmm. we shouldn't infringe upon people's free will in order to you know, outlaw abortion. Um, right. It's very unfortunate to hear this though, because for a couple of reasons. So firstly, there are also Christians who also don't believe that the Bible considers abortion a sin. Um, mm -hmm. This is the first big problem because of course it is the core of like, you first need to believe that it is, as a Christian, you should believe it's wrong. Right. And I think a lot of Christians are unfortunately reading from translations that are incorrect. I know that the numbers five argument is very popular now. Ridiculous. Yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. You know, there's actually ridiculous translation that like the <laughs> NIV is the only translation that even alludes to that being an abortion, right? It's not right. So the NIV. Sorry, yeah, the NIV. The NIV also has like 114 known errors in it exactly it's, it's a ridiculous <laughs> like nobody actually no christian reads the niv and that's for a reason like, the passion a doesn't even say that <laughs> <laughs> and we know it's definitely not true then um but yeah <laughs> definitely i mean niv is problematic for a lot of reasons but that's definitely one of them because it's in it's very clear that like i think there is a need to critically read and research these verses right like mm -hmm. even if it's not completely obvious to one it's you know one google search away for real like, have all the information at our fingertips like i think that the genesis 2 7 reference mm -hmm. of life starting at first breath is absolutely ridiculous because mm -hmm. it is literally just a misreading of the sentence like right. god breathing life into adam has nothing to do with us getting life at our first breath right um yeah so yeah. <laughs> i think that's a very problematic take and i think it's actually like very there, there's definitely verses in the bible that kind of tell us that you know unborn children have personhood right um from like the gospels with babies oh for sure um mm -hmm. you know responding in the womb for example or mm -hmm. you know in the old testament for example but that's not even necessary because mm -hmm. a very core doctrine of Christianity demands us to believe that children have personhood from conception. And that's because essentially, if we take the concept of diophysitism, so we believe that Jesus is 100% man and 100% God, and he always was. And this is mm -hmm. intrinsic to Christianity. We can't deny this without falling into heresy, right? Mm -hmm. then if there was if babies do not have personhood at conception then there must have been a point at which jesus became more of a man right right which means that at some point he was not 100 percent man which would mean that that's heretical and given that's a that really good thought I've, I've never i've never yeah, thought about yeah, that that's really deep. i think it's it's a very um 
undeniable weight, I think, to establish personhood, because at times verses can be a bit, you know, like, oh, okay, well, it says unborn children, but not, it doesn't directly say conception, so we can't attribute mm -hmm. that, but I think this argument really just, like, closes that gap and makes it clear. So it's very clear that we need to believe in personhood from conception, and after that, it's a matter of thou shall not murder, I think. Mm -hmm. So I think one of my least favorite parts when when christians will say like the god gives us free will so we should allow people have choice and we shouldn't infringe on their free will because the bible doesn't infringe on our free will i mm -hmm. always just think like yeah god does give you free will but he also commands that you follow him he like in deuteronomy he says like i set before you life and death choose life you know mm -hmm. and that's a command um he also commands all of his followers he, to, to listen to him and you don't really get a choice as a christian if you want to listen to god or not like mm -hmm. you Absolutely. have a choice in the idea of like you don't have to listen to god but there's like um consequences you know if you aren't going to listen to god and you continually exactly. aren't going to listen to god you're probably not a christian exactly and one of the biggest things that people don't understand is even with this free will argument right like technically laws don't strip you of your free will they're just mm -hmm. consequences in the same right. way mm -hmm. that for breaking with god's will we have consequences but we can still do it so i think mm -hmm. that for as a christian and if we stop so again babies have personhood therefore abor abortion is murder and another thing is like all of the church fathers you know like every church father that wrote about abortion condemned it as a grave sin so it's also yeah. like a very, very like well-established view of the church, right? So given that it is murder, how can you believe simultaneously that we should outlaw murder as we see it, but not abortion? Because exactly. I think to be consistent, you would have to say, okay, let's be anarchists and just let right. everyone do whatever right. they want. If That's free will matters too. so much to you, then why would you think that it's okay to have, you know, because let people, you know, steal, let people, right. you know, commit a, like battery, assault, all these things, right? Mm -hmm. But no, all of a sudden it becomes, wait, that's wrong. But mm -hmm. so is abortion. So it's not so much, I think the whole question of free will is just this um, break with conflating like, oh, okay, abortion has been drilled into my head as something that is okay. And therefore, I don't want to make people not do it. But if you truly are Christian and you truly believe that God has condemned it, which he has very clearly as I outlined, mm -hmm. then you cannot simultaneously believe that murder should be outlawed, but abortion shouldn't. Right, right. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking that it leads to philosophical anarchism 100% yeah mm -hmm. yep so what do you do when and this is all i'm saying this because this always comes up and <laughs> we know that this is like maybe less than five percent i think it's definitely less than five percent maybe less than one percent of abortions but when when it comes to the issue of like rape or incest what what is what do we do with with that situation because that clearly is a little bit uh, it's a special case in the sense that we it demands more empathy, you know? Absolutely. Um, so this is definitely the question which comes up like most often, I'd say. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely agree. 
And I think there's a couple of ways I approach this and a couple of ways that pro-lifers shouldn't approach it actually. Mm -hmm. um, because, so for one, it's important to consider the statistic, you're right, like um, abortions that result from rape are like 0.5%. So it's important to consider that because to justify 100% of abortions, you shouldn't have to stand on the ground of the 0.5%, right? Mm -hmm. So that is definitely one thing to consider. However, we also shouldn't be using that as a tactic to say, we're gonna ignore that situation and not address it. We're not gonna tell mm -hmm. you why it's still wrong, right? Because then in the same way, they can say, well, late-term abortions only make up a small minority of abortions, so you can't, you know, bring those up either, right? And I feel like it's disingenuous to almost ignore a case just because it doesn't happen so often. So I think they're hard questions that we have to answer, and we shouldn't avoid them, but it is still pretty clear. And this is because someone's value does not depend upon how they were conceived. For example, there are many women who conceive out of sexual assault or incest, right? And have children and live that live very happy lives and their mothers love them like mm -hmm. life itself, right? Yeah. And if I think in effect, if you say, oh, I will make exceptions for those cases, you're basically saying that you don't deserve as much protection because you were conceived in a way that you had no control over. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like saying, because your father was bad, you're getting punished by not having exactly. as many rights or protections exactly. like you're saying. Exactly. So that's, I think, intrinsically the issue with that argument. It devalues the lives of those people. And not only that, but like, let's just say, and even as a pro-lifer, let's say I said, okay, you know what, like, we'll, we'll just, we'll make exceptions for that 0.5%, fine. Let's hypothetically say, even though I don't think we should. Mm -hmm. does it really make a case for pro-choice because okay now 99.5 percent of abortions are banned I, I take that as a win still so mm -hmm. it not only has no real power from the pro-choice end but also just it's quite clear how to address it from the pro-life end so right right what if we got even more niche with this and I think it, it goes from the um you know, the rape and incest into like the, the mother is endangered and that those kind mm -hmm. of arguments, right? With uh, those like different kinds of niche problems arising, what would we do if someone would bring up an abortion in that case? So I think there's a couple of different niche um, kind of occurrences that people tend to bring up. So mm -hmm. one of them is definitely like the like life-saving abortions, right? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Another one would be, so I'll just address all of them, but another one is ectopic pregnancies. Um, right. And then another one is what if it's a very young girl, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so for the life-saving abortions, it's very, and this kind of threads into my responses to the other ones as well. Um, we are not permitted, even as Christians or secularly, right? We are permitted to like act out of self-defense, right? Mm -hmm. um, like when in the gospels, like there's times when people have met with arms, you know, like they've been armed and like ready to defend themselves if necessary. And Jesus approved of this. Mm -hmm. So 
I wouldn't say that it is, I would say it's amoral to have an abortion if your life is at risk. So essentially mm -hmm. it's morally neutral. So right. if you choose to have one because it is out of self-defense, this doesn't negate the personhood of the fetus, right? Because it's as if I, my life was being threatened and I, you know, killed a person who was directly threatening my life. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean they are less of a person or they have less rights. Right. All it means is that I acted out of self-defense. And intrinsically, right, right. the pro-life position isn't about saying, oh, the fetus has supremacy. It's about saying that from conception, fetuses have the same rights as any other person. And that includes um, the right to life, however, mm. which can be, you know, circumvented in the case of self-defense. Mm. Um, and then in terms of, so the other two cases, ectopic pregnancies, those aren't considered abortions. Um, like every major medical source considers them not to be abortions, like the treatment for an ectopic pregnancy. Mm -hmm. um, also, like even like with miscarriages and stuff, definitely not an abortion. Abortion, we consider to be the intentional, you know, killing of a child um, mm -hmm. within the womb. So obviously mm -hmm. a miscarriage is not that. An ectopic pregnancy, the treatment is never considered that. Um, so, and, it's, and again, it also, ectopic pregnancies are life-threatening. So it would fall under the category of self-defense anyways. Um, mm -hmm. And then the last one tends to be like, if the, if the girl is very young who gets pregnant. But I think that this is definitely a hard question, but this is where we have to take it, take time to think logically and not just with our emotions, um, mm -hmm. even though we should be empathetic, of course. I think that a it's very important to consider that if the girl is very young, she may actually qualify for a love. Firstly, it is so like the percentage likelihood of this happening, and this isn't like just to deflect, but the percentage likelihood is so low because people usually bring up the ages of like nine and stuff when girls usually can't even have children. So like the percentage likelihood of a child below 12 getting pregnant. And then on top of that, often it's like brought up to be sexual assault is like statistically near impossible. Like it's so low, mm -hmm. but again, it can happen. Things happen. Yeah. So it's still important to address it. Um, and I think that in most cases for a girl that young, it would be physically threatening to her body to mm -hmm. go through with a pregnancy, right? So in that case, she would qualify for a life-saving abortion. Now, if she doesn't, which again is even smaller of like a minority of like cases, I, I don't even know if that would happen, um, like that she can go through the pregnancy completely safely and it occurs out of like something like rape and she is mm -hmm. also under the age of 12, like that's, then I think, yes, she should carry to term. and. Although it is a very difficult situation to stomach because bad people do bad things, it also needs to be thought through with the same level of rationality that we apply to everything else. Mm -hmm. And the truth is that even in that case, that child does deserve our protection. So, mm -hmm. yeah, you say mm -hmm. the, the kid being over the age of 12? Um, so the kid being 
over the age of 12 makes it more likely just because that's when women typically become fertile or able to reproduce, right? Um, under the age of 12, which is usually the, like, usually pro-choicers tend to be like, what if she's nine years old and she gets mm-hmm. assaulted and becomes pregnant yeah. and then wants an abortion, which the, and then also, you know, doesn't qualify for a life-saving abortion. Like the statistical unlikelihood of that happening is incredibly like. It's, yeah, it's at just, that point, at that point, it kind of, and I don't want this to come off wrong, but because it's so statistically unlikely, it kind of sounds like they're just grasping at straws. And like yes. we kind of talked about earlier, we're not going to permit 100% of, of these procedures and these abortions because 0.5% of, the, of, of them might mm-hmm. have a, a, a case where there's more consideration taken. You know, we, we, wouldn't, is- we don't do that with anything. exactly exactly like you should be able to stand on ground that justifies a hundred percent not that Mm -hmm. in in this case like I'm just making an estimation so you know don't call me out for this figure or anything but like I'd say it's like under 0.01 percent like it has to be lower than that because there's Mm -hmm. just like all of the variables crossed together just have to be so incredibly low it's just right Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm Anything else you want to say on that topic, uh, either of you two, before we move on to the next thing? No, I'm good at that. Yeah, I think we can move on. Cool. I think it'd be really good for us to get to uh, sort of the bottom of where does life begin from a uh, a pro-choice aspect, like a mindset, because obviously for us, it's conception. Um, but sort of the, the argument starts from like walking someone back from birth all the way until that point. And I think we went from kind of birth to like the 24 weeks thing with uh, <laughs> the, uh, man, I already forgot the, the term. Eviction one. Eviction. Evict- yeah. Yeah, Eviction yeah. thing. How do we go, <laughs> be- how do we go beyond that to conception from the 24 weeks to mm-hmm. conception? What are some more arguments we could use to walk someone back from that point of viability um, to like the fetus? It's a good question. Because you, because people will bring up arguments like, well, the baby before a certain amount of time doesn't feel pain of, yeah, um, yeah. of uh, like the abortion and all mm-hmm. these kinds of things besides the viability. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we definitely hear that a lot. Um, also, it is a commonly held belief that babies can't feel pain before, I believe, 18 weeks people claim, but new mm-hmm. studies have been shown to say that it's actually like, 12 weeks as early as so that's also an important consideration however um I do think that there are a lot of considerations that need to be made in this case um I think the potentiality argument that I talked about is definitely one of them um but I think that in general none of the so I think the best case for personhood at conception is even just the fact that you literally cannot account for giving personhood to all the people that we do give personhood Mm -hmm. um, under any pro-choice argument, right? So for example, with sentience, right? If sentience is, so the ability to feel pain or emotions even, right? If that Mm -hmm. is intrinsically valuable, if that is the sole thing which gives people personhood, Mm -hmm. then lots of animals should be given the exact same consideration including you know cats rats right you should 
it, like by that logic, if you are looking at, okay, there is a baby that you could save or a rat, you should logically be confused about which one to save. Mm -hmm. I, I think that is pretty unintuitive. And although there is this question of, okay, well, animal rights, definitely, but do they deserve the exact same moral consideration? And in fact, so these kind of markers like sentience, some people say self-awareness, right? Mm -hmm. Self-awareness begins actually not at birth, but, or not even in the womb, but five months after birth. So you mm -hmm. would have to be okay with infanticide, with killing a child right. that is up to five months old, right? Which I so, think people have, or I think some people are pushing it. I've heard recently, and I haven't checked it out, so I could be wrong, but I thought in New York, they're trying to, they're discussing some of that, like a little bit after birth. So I'm not certain about the policy considerations, but it has been a philosophical consideration for sure. Hmm. Um, there are philosophers that argue that self-awareness is the point at which we should grant personhood. And wow. they basically consider it like completely morally neutral to kill a child up to five months old, which is incredibly unintuitive. And yeah, right. It, I mean, then you have to be okay with killing anyone who's in a coma or, or like mm -hmm. has a certain amount of brain damage or, mm -hmm. or, um, you know, a, a lot of other things. Yeah. In fact, there was a child named Trevor who was born with severe deficiencies in his uh, brain. And usually people with this condition um, don't live very long, but he lived until 12 years old, but he did not have wow. the faculties to, yeah, he didn't have the faculty, but he wasn't on life support or like living like that standard of life that he was just like living on a machine. It wasn't like that. Mm -hmm. um, but he was, so he was living life, but he didn't have a lot of the faculties that usually some pro-choicers try to place value on. So you would have to look at a child who is 12 years old and say, this child doesn't deserve to be protected, which I think frankly is a reductio, right? Like it's absurd to say mm. that, so. Definitely, I agree. Are you muted, Ethan? I, yeah, 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 I was typing, so I don't <laughs> want that to, to get in the way. I looked into, I, I just looked it up real quick, and yeah, it says that um, there was signed a bill, so not, not into law necessarily yet, but a bill was proposed to allow abortion up until birth, which would allow, like, bypass the laws that are against yeah. infanticide. So up until birth, right? Um, yeah, so, like, if you're at that nine-month mark, you can just... Yeah, yeah. So I, I realized that I think New York um, allows abortions until birth right now for medical reasons. Um, but I forgot okay. exactly what the cutoff is, but they have a cutoff for elective abortions right now. Mm -hmm. um, and it's so unfortunate to see this gradual diminishing value of human life. Like, again, the potentiality argument is definitely one that makes it very clear that personhood starts at conception. Um, but also just, again, we, there's not a single personhood argument that can accurately account for people that we consider to be people and persons. Yeah, um, I think, without, we'll, oh, go ahead, sorry. Oh, just like without including fetuses from Yeah, I think really what we're seeing, like as you take a look in the world and you realize this, and 
And it's like, this has got to be not a new problem for humanity. Like this is probably a repeated problem through different great nations that rise up and fall and, and, and so on and so forth. But I think this really just takes atheism to its logical conclusion of like, if there is no God, then there isn't a lot of support to say that life matters inherently. You know, it's just, it matters because we all don't want to die, but maybe if someone does want to die, then that now without a picture of God, then you don't have any evidence to stand on to say that life does matter. So I think what we're seeing in culture is really just the effects of the logical conclusions of a world where God wouldn't exist. I absolutely agree. I think that um, one of my favorite authors is uh, Dostoevsky, Russian author, very He's He's incredible, writes a lot about the symptoms of the disease of atheism, right? Mm. Um, and I think a big one of those is definitely the devaluation of human life, right? And yeah. I think we kind of like use euphemisms, like, you know, just saying, like specifically saying, for another argument that I hear a lot is abortion is not murder. Don't say murder because murder means something that is an illegal killing. And abortion is legal, so it's not murder. And I think this is frankly ridiculous because as much as there is a legal tinge to that word, and mm -hmm. yes, there is a frame in which you can say, okay, abortion is not murder because it's legal. It is so widely recognized by academia and by just common sense that there is more to that. And it's mm -hmm. also incredibly um, almost unaware of the fact that there are other ways that you can use it, right? So if yeah. your morals hinge on something like God and God's existence, then it is completely valid to say that abortion is murder because my morals hinge on God's existence and murder is considered, and it, it is almost a law. It's just not a law of a state particularly. So I think there are definitely considerations about where that term can be applied. And I think, again, that's one of those euphemisms, right? Don't call abortion murder, call it healthcare because all of a sudden that makes it seem like it's more okay. Um, and then another one is like, I've seen so many TikToks about how small the fetus looks or like we got a lot. So I run a pro-life account on Instagram with uh, a couple of my friends mm -hmm. and we get a lot of like DMs and stuff and questions. And we're always happy to answer because I think it is so great to help people defend life. But we also get a lot of DMs from pro-choicers who are angry, right? <laughs> and true. we get some horrible DMs, but lately there is a trend on TikTok where you essentially just send a picture of a fetus that isn't human and ask the pro-lifer, oh, does this look like a person to you? And, you know, most of the time, many people don't look at the picture closely and they don't know what a human, like they don't know the distinguishing characteristics, right? Mm -hmm. So they'll just say, yeah, it is. Um, and it's so unfortunate because obviously like this is kind of a waste of time, but since when does the differences in how we look 
determine our value as people. This right. was the logic right. that is used to justify racism. You know. Yeah. Like, well, well. Also, it kind of when you when you were just talking about it, it's like, okay, one, what you're just what what these people seem to be getting at is we're allowed to kill anyone that I th- that we think looks weird. So like exactly. Maybe I don't like people with cross eyes. You know. Now I don't have anything against people with cross eyes. And if you're listening <laughs> to this, you have cross eyes. Don't, don't worry. I'm not coming after you. <laughs> I'm just saying like what if what if we that went that way or you're saying like look how small the fetus is and I thought to myself okay kill short people like what exactly like, that, that, since size determine value it's absolutely yeah. ridiculous you know they're very mm-hmm. arbitrary markers for you know and and this logic just has justified incredible atrocities like across history so yeah have you looked into the um history and the founding of like Planned Parenthood and how um what's her singer what's her first name Margaret Sanger Margaret Sanger yeah and how she like basically set up these abortion clinics like strategically right outside low-income minority neighborhoods as a means of like event essentially like keeping minority populations under control have you have you heard of that before so i've definitely heard this i think that a so firstly i think it is important to consider one thing that the question of race i think can be an important consideration and even as like a woman of color um i think it's important to look at the implications and it's definitely um very ill-motivated for the, you know, community of people of color. But I also think that it's almost a distraction at times because pro-choicers will use this, right? Um, They'll say, yeah, like abortion helps women in, you know, communities of color because otherwise they are unable to get out of poverty, right? And I think this is almost a distraction tactic because the truth is that regardless of the implications of how abortion interacts with race, it doesn't really, like the consequences of the action don't change or affect the very fact of whether abortion is wrong. Mm. Because, okay, if abortion is being used in a way that disadvantages a certain community. There are many ways and many things we can do to help that community. However, that doesn't justify abortion in itself, right? So as much as I, and so I've done, like I I do, I'm aware of the history of Planned Parenthood. And I think that um, people who are especially personally affected by it, I have a lot of black friends who are very vocal about it because they think it's absolutely horrendous, which I agree with. I think that it's great to advocate against that sort of thinking, but I think bringing the concept of race into it kind of takes away from the question, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And not to mention that there are claims on both ends that on, on that spectrum, right? Um, there, I, there was a recent video I saw that was claiming that the, you know, overturn of Roe was essentially just a scheme because the, um, birth rates of white people are falling and America is becoming dominated by current minority groups. So, you know, obviously this is very silly almost because, 
I don't know if that is somehow conspiracy theory that is correct, you know, um, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe in some world, but and I, I doubt it is correct. But even if it was true, and that was the motivation, the problem is that that doesn't mean that abortion is okay. Mm-hmm. It just means right. people are using it for the wrong, or approving, uh, or, or some people are against it for the wrong reasons. But that doesn't mean that it's okay. Right. So again, I think the question of race kind of tends to make the waters a bit murky um, mm-hmm. and distracts from the very obvious point that abortion in itself is wrong. Right. It's kind of like you don't need to bring that in to make the point known that abortion exactly. is wrong. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rounding this conversation out a little bit, um, we've talked a lot about um, what is an abortion and where does viability begin and some arguments for uh, and against being uh, pro-life. Um, where do we think that this all is going? Where do we think the conversation is going? Are, is, is like logical headway being made in this space of the conversation? Because I know you exist a little bit more in this realm than we do. Um, or is it still just kind of like hitting a brick wall on both sides? And beyond that, where do you think we're going legislatively in, in like this country? I think um, a big problem in ge- with the general population is this tendency to believe misinformation, especially how fast information spreads on, for example, platforms like TikTok, Twitter, all these things. Mm-hmm. So I think in terms of legislation, given that the power is with the people and young people are so dependent on social media, there are problems, like I've seen this claim going around that the penalty for rape is less than the penalty for an abortion on a woman, mm-hmm. which is like absolutely false. Um, the penalty for an abortion is quite high, but it's on the provider, not the woman who gets one. And mm-hmm. for rape, obviously there is like a lesser sentence, but most of the time with sentencing, like rape gets a pretty high sentence. So this is obviously not true, but it's something that has been sparking outrage, right? So obviously Mm -hmm. this influences the way people vote and the way that policy takes shape. So I'm not too sure about how legislation will kind of be impacted. I think Biden recently chose to push through an order that was reinstating basically the conclusions of Roe as abortion as a protected right, um, which is frankly ridiculous and I think is like kind of subverting the entire like function of the United States and the faith we have in the Supreme Court. Um, But also, I just think like in terms of dialogue between pro-lifers and pro-choicers, I think it becomes more problematic the less we know about things. Because for me to have, like I have so many pro-choice friends um, and a lot of them have like not a single, we we don't even share a single belief, you know? Hmm. Um, But I can, I have a lot of respect for them because the way that they argue about it is well-educated, even though I ultimately believe they're incorrect. So we can have a lot of, good conversations and foster healthy debate that way. So that does open up the dialogue a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I do live debate sometimes. Those are interesting for sure. Um, But I think the problem becomes when people who are 
not educated on these issues choose to speak like they are educated. Um, yeah. Especially when their sources are TikTok videos, infographics on in, like Instagram, that sort of thing, right? right. People mm -hmm. kind of blindly post these things and cite these things without realizing what they mean. Um, and that definitely inhibits conversation and sparks a lot of outrage, I think. So, and it happens on both sides. I definitely see it more with pro-choice, perhaps because more of my, my, like, the people that I know are more pro-choice, probably because I'm from a liberal area. But, um, so it's, I don't know. I think it is a bit problematic when it comes to everyone kind of wanting to have a say, but not wanting to make the effort to understand. Hmm. Um, but there is, there is dialogue that happens. Awesome. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. Any other questions that you have, Ethan? Um, not necessarily. Um, I think like there, there are like the basic arguments that we, we, we covered, right? Like when does life begin? Um, and really like all, all the main arguments, like what about the rape and incest thing? Mm -hmm. Those are arguments that I think I have like tolerance for. Like people ask me, I'm like, okay, cool. But there's some that like I went in my research that like um, that are like their arguments are out there that people use to try to justify it. I just sometimes have no tolerance for like, for example, one of them I'm looking at right now says abortion. Um, it says abortion gives pregnant women the option to choose not to bring fetuses with profound abnormality abnormalities to full term. And like those stuff like that, I'm just like, man, like you're just deciding who has value and who doesn't based on blatantly being ableist is what you're doing right exactly exactly and it's yes yeah, almost because like the 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 left usually is the one that's mainly pro-choice i won't say the left i'll say pro-choicers um well sometimes the left they they try to play so heavy on like we care for everyone and inclusion and intersectionality and and all that stuff and then they're kind of being they're like they're subconsciously or quietly being um, ableist or or like what we we're getting at earlier with like the size of the fetus or how it looks and stuff like that and it's like what these are you don't like these things like if I was to blatantly yeah. say we should like ship off all the disabled people to another island and leave them to defend them themselves I would be torn apart you know and it's like wait you're doing it right here yeah so um, there's some arguments that I, I know I'm like, I need to grow my patience for it and, and understand that when people have these arguments, oftentimes they're probably just recycling information they've heard over and over, but also like it's a, it's a time to not get angry and not like meet them with the same rage that they have, right? The Bible says that a soft answer turns away wrath. So we can, we can receive all their angry like attacks and their claims. But I think if we answer it calmly and gently and, and try to give them the benefit of the doubt, like, Hey, maybe they've never heard these before, or maybe they just aren't aware of the sciences or, you know, I know this person cares about life because they seem to be defending the life of the mother. Maybe I can take that same love for life and, and show them that the fetus is value. I think we can have some really, really good conversations with people. If, if we are able to act in self-control with ourselves and know the responses. So I'm really happy that we did this episode. And I think I should gave a lot of um, great information, some things that I haven't heard about, like the evic eviction or what, what's it called? What's the actual word evictionism. for that? Yeah, evictionism. evictionism. Like mm -hmm. I haven't heard that argument before or the one about like with specifically Christians and 
and who defend it, then kind of bringing Jesus into the picture is a way to bring this point to clarity that I haven't heard before. So I, I was, I've really enjoyed this episode and we're just really thankful that you came on. Derry, is there anything that you were, you were thinking? Yeah. Uh, one last thing that I wanted to bring up uh, that I actually forgot about. Um, I, as I've said, I think I've seen two main responses from Christians on my Instagram from Roe v. Wade being, Roe v. Wade being overturned. One was the free will argument that we should just keep to ourselves, like the, the philosophical anarchism right, that we talked mm-hmm. about. Um, the second one was like a, like a red herring, which most of the arguments are red herrings in the first place, logical fallacies. But um, this one was made by almost every Christian that I saw. And it was like a Roe v. Wade was just overturned. Like I'm, I'm pro-life, but like these things. And it'd be like healthcare. Like we needed to like improve healthcare before this happened. And we needed to improve like all of these like uh, societal standards before it happened. And to me, like it doesn't make any sense. Like I understand that these people are trying to be sensitive and all these things that they mentioned in like their slides on Instagram that they post are all good mm-hmm. things that I think do need to happen. But if, if like a race is being genocide, like we don't worry about like getting like camps set up for them before they can come to our country. Like we're like, no, come to our right. country. We'll figure it out when you're here. Well, like, America situation might doesn't, be great. other ones do. Yeah. 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 Other <laughs> countries usually do. Wish we did. Uh, yeah, but like you don't you don't worry about those kind of things. You're like, I need to get you out of this situation where you're gonna die. Like, mm-hmm. we'll set up the camp and figure out what we can do for you when you're here. We don't like wait to get it real pretty and nice and then you can come. Right, right? exactly. It's a red herring argument. Yeah, so yeah. that's the last thing that I wanted to touch on before we uh, end. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's a very good point to bring up. I think a lot of people definitely say that in fact I get that question a lot um Mm -hmm. I'm actually mostly I'm like moderate economically so I'm cool with like universal health care access to contraceptive I I really you know I'm not very extreme so yeah so like I think a big thing that I get is always oh if you're pro-life then why aren't you for universal health I'm like I am (laughs) and they're like they're like wait what and then um so I get that a lot for sure and then people are like okay yeah well we need to reform that and then we can outlaw abortion and I'm like this is an ongoing crisis like we're not going to wait for every single if we waited for the world to be perfect to save lives we would never save lives because the truth is it's like saying that okay well people in poverty right um let's say like you know we can't solve all of poverty right now so we're just gonna like not do anything about it <laughs> we're not you gonna know? help any of you exactly and it's yeah. absolutely ridiculous like we don't decide and it's and it's a proven fact by the way because an- another thing people like to bring up is banning abortions doesn't lower abortions policies like, like progressive policies like um healthcare, all that stuff, they lower abortions. Um, while it's true, certain progressive policies like act, like access to contraceptives definitely do help. Mm-hmm. Um, it is actually like statistically proven that banning abortions does work, especially in developed countries, mm-hmm. um, which America definitely is. And not only that, but we have like some of the best conditions in the world. Like to say that, oh, um, we need to fix America before we allow these children to be born into these conditions is to ignore the fact that 
we are living in one of the best countries in the world in the sense that like I lived in India for a few years, right? Mm. I saw so many things that you would never see in America, right? Like slums and, you know, children just in this incredible suffering. But Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean I would want them to not be born when they're already conceived. And that also doesn't mean that because, oh, some America, like we do have incredible income disparity um, and it's a problem for sure. But that also doesn't mean the fact that the person who earns the least in America is like middle to upper class in many third world countries. Mm -hmm. Um, And banning abortion and saying that, oh, we shouldn't ban it because we're not perfect is just this ultimate deferral of saving lives. Like it's never gonna happen then. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. That's a good response. Love that. Yeah. Right on. Anything else there? No, I'm good to go. Cool. Yeah, we covered a lot here. Um, we're coming mm-hmm. up on just over an hour, I believe, maybe a little bit under, but around that mark. Um, Aish, thank you for so much for coming on. I think it was a really valuable episode. And I'm really happy we specifically had you on because like me and Derry have our opinions, but like they're all going to say, you're a man. You can't have Oh my gosh. I hate when that happens. You officially <laughs> Which, have like, my woman card to be like, yeah, you know what? a woman. I'm a woman. Too. <laughs> Yes. I'll go tell my wife right now. I'm a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she'll be happy about that. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> um, but yeah, because, you know, and, and then with that whole thing again, it's like, okay, so like if my neighbor's abusing his kid, should I not go over? Because like I exactly. don't have the right to have because I'm not his parent. Right. Exactly. Like, that pin your kid, it's like, you don't know what he's done to me. I'm like, it doesn't matter. You can't hit your or kid. Or even like, you can also advocate against genocide in another country, like without yeah, no right? having any connection to it, you know? Like, yeah. yeah. And there was, um, oh, what were we just talking about where it's like, oh, the very last thing that, that we were talking about where they said, um, Derry, what was the last thing you brought up? Oh, they say, um, like, we have to fix everything before we can oh, get Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I just want to be like, yeah, I mean, like, we're a long way away from from getting rid of the the farm fa- or the animal factories where they slaughter mass, like, cows on mass. So, like, I'm just not going to fight animal rights at all. Like, I'm just going to let it go. <laughs> they would lose their minds, you know? Like, I think that's so one of my least favorite true. things is... Wait, that's a really, that is a really good point, because a lot of the more educated pro-choicers that I tend to know, um, Mm -hmm. or or people, or even like pro-choicers just often ask me, so fun fact, I'm vegetarian, Um, I just grew up that way, because my family's Hindu, Um, Mm -hmm. and everyone is like, oh wait, are you, you're so pro-life, are you vegetarian? Obviously, this is not relevant but I'm always Mm -hmm. like yeah I am because (laughs) I am (laughs) so and then being able to turn that point around and be like with animal rights like we Mm -hmm. still fight for it even if we're not you know going to make everything perfect you know that's definitely a very very good point yeah I think next time I get confronted with your man you can't have an opinion I'll say you're not an animal you can't have an opinion on animal rights that's that's a really good one <laughs> just, sure. just a teasel but probably not, i probably won't say that just because that won't help them that won't move the needle at all that yeah, would just be inflammatory yeah, you know so sure. you, you always want to 
not be a jerk when you're talking to people. Yeah, <laughs> usually. That's definitely true. Yeah. yeah, maybe when I was maybe when I was 20, I would have said that, but you know, it's been <laughs> a little bit. But I've heard yeah. a little bit since then. Uh, I'd hope so. It's been six years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Um, you can check us out everywhere. Uh, Aish, is there anything you want to plug at the end here? Um, my TikTok is like my full name, so mm. that is pretty long to spell. But yeah, um, it's a i s h w a r i dot k r i s h n a. Um, I have some pro life resources linked and stuff like that. Um, like reading recommendations. We're gonna have a document addressing every single pro choice argument we've ever heard. Um, from philosophical to the average, you know, like thing that we hear on the daily um, coming out pretty soon. So, cool. you know, that's something if people are interested. But. Absolutely. Um, do you have the address of that pro-life uh, Instagram account that you said that you are part of too? Yeah, it's just people? Pro it's prolife.advice. So cool. pretty simple. Yeah. Cool, cool. Awesome. Well, we really enjoyed having you on the show and we definitely love to have you again if you ever wanted to come on, even if it was on a, a different topic. Yeah, we'd love to talk more. Yeah, definitely. It was awesome to talk about this. It was great talking with you guys. I learned a lot as well. Um, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And for everybody else, you can check us out pretty much everywhere we usually plug. We have Instagram, TikTok, Patreon, YouTube, all over the place. We'd love to interact with all of y'all, hear your responses here, questions. So if you have them, throw them out there. Um, we'll see you on social media. And thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week. Thanks, everybody.